0: Seated. Well, thank you, Randy, Father Randy, for inviting me today. Randy is on vacation, much deserved, so we wish uh, him well with his family and safe travels. And I hope your team won yesterday, if you were able to actually watch it on TV. Okay, now that all that important stuff's out of the way, I can't see you, I can't hear you. So let me put some hand motions with it. I can't see you, I can't hear you, I can't see you, I can't hear you. Does that look familiar to anyone? (laughs) If you have children, the answer is yes. If you don't have children, the answer is yes. Um, Many of you probably still do that to this very day, just in a very different way, right? I was, this has happened several years ago, but I was in Walmart. This has happened several years ago, but I was in Walmart, which, no offense to those who really love being in Walmart, it is chaos to me. And so it always sets my nerves on edge, and I just try to get in and get out as quickly as possible. Um, But I was in uh, Walmart one day, and I heard those words from a small child, probably of about eight years old. I can't see you, I can't hear you, I can't see you, I can't hear you. And I rounded the corner, and what I saw was a standoff. There was a very formidable looking woman on one kind of about 20 feet from this child. And the child was indeed doing this with his hands, saying that he could not see or hear the woman who was now getting angrier with every sentence out of his mouth or every clause out of the mouth. And I knew what was coming. And so I just decided to do what any good bystander would do, and that's to leave. I vacated the aisle and went and did something else, so I have no idea um, what the ending of that standoff was, but I have a feeling that for the eight-year-old, it did not end well. (laughs) We all have done that. And children do that, particularly if it's a place they don't want to leave. You're at Chuck E. Cheese and it's time to go. Suddenly, they forget their name. Or they don't know that you're their parent, right? And they hide from you somewhere other than where you are. And you then have to find them. Or in the case of my children, at times when they were much younger, they didn't even bother with hand motions or even English words. They simply threw themselves on the ground and began screaming as if they were possessed by something other than things that live on this earth. And so we've all been in that position. And we have probably done that as a child. I know I did it as a child. Um, I don't have clean hands in this. And the thing is, we do it as we get older too. We just don't do it in quite the same way. It's a little less overtly aggressive than that. So instead, it takes on a passive nature, which is this. this pretend there's a television there after a few minutes. I'm sorry, did you say something? I can't see you. I can't hear you. Or, you know, it's similar to that. You're doing something and uh, it's, are you talking to me? I'm, I just didn't hear you. I didn't hear you say that. So I'm, I'm sorry. And truth be told, you probably did hear a little bit of what was said. Um, and you've had it done to you too. So we do it. But we do it not just in things like that, things we don't want to do. We do it in much more serious situations. So to a child, um, grandma has died. I can't see you, I can't hear you. I don't want this to be true. I want this to be something else. Something other than the reality that I am facing right now. And we do that too. Um, It could be the death of a loved one, something we don't understand, something we can't explain. I don't want to be in this position. I don't want to be here. I don't want to endure this because it is going to require something of me or it is going to cause me pain. And I don't want that. And so I am going to deny it in some way, small or large. Um, And sometimes it's not even those serious things, but we just zone out, right? We just divorce ourselves from where we are right now. Maybe life has handed you a deal that you don't particularly like the cards. And it has become your lot in life, whatever it is. And maybe you're asking yourself, why? Or what if? What if I'd done something different? Why did this happen to me? And so it has now become your way of life. And so you think, what difference does it make, right? I'm not even gonna try to see or try to hear. Or we feel unworthy of the request. Are you talking to me? You want me to do that? Do you know who I am? I don't have those gifts, right? I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't sing. I don't, um, you know, I have no organizational. But whatever it is, if you only knew me, you wouldn't ask me to do that. So it becomes, as adults, this feeling of unworthiness. So you can't be asking me to do that. And I think sometimes it's that we just don't want to stop and listen, because if we do, we will see that it will require something of us, actual effort, actual thought. Um, We may have to change our course or our direction. Life can't be the way it's always been, right? We may have to do something other than what we wanted to do that particular day or that particular month or for the next five years. Or we might see that the ground on which we tread is very holy, and sacred, and that those with whom we deal are holy and sacred in the image of God, and we will have to treat them other than the way we want to treat them, and that requires sacrifice from us, and sometimes we just don't want to do it. I see this going on, both in today's gospel lesson and in today's Old Testament lesson, Um, Hebrew scriptures lesson. And sorry, Paul, we're not going to talk about you today, right? I'm actually not even going to talk about the gospel, but I do want to say this, and I'm going to give a plug for Randy's trip to the Holy Land, because you've been hearing, oh, it'll change your perspective on everything. It'll change your life and the way you view scripture. Yes, plus 10. It will. It will change your life. Um, And so I'm going to tell you, that where they are at Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is saying to Peter, get behind me. And I can imagine Peter being like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hear this. Sacrifice? Death? Jesus, no way, man. We're trying to get followers here. That doesn't play well to the masses. And that's kind of what, what Peter's saying to him. And let me tell you about Caesarea Philippi and where they are. They are standing, likely, at the mouth of a cave called the Cave of Pan. You know, Pan is the child, the kind of half goat boy, half human, plays the flute kind of a thing, somewhat scary. Um, That's where we get the word panic, it's from chaos. And so he's the child of supposedly Hermes and Penelope, right, but some people say it's Mercury and Penelope, whatever. They're standing in front of the cave of Pan, which is the entryway, the gateway to the underworld, to hell. And so in Caesarea Philippi, you have all these temples and there's all kinds of stuff going on. It is as if Jesus had Peter in front of a strip club in Vegas. Okay, you with me? I'm sure none of you have been there. But just in case, maybe you can imagine it. So this is where they are. And he's saying, you know, we're going to do some things that are going to require sacrifice and figurative and literal death. Um, and so Peter says, no, we can't be talking like that, and so he says to Peter, not as an indictment of Peter being a bad guy, he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, if you can't embrace doing something different, if you can't embrace sacrifice, then you belong behind me in the mouth in the cave of Pan. That's why he's saying, get behind me, Satan. Satan. He's saying, you're no better than the rest of these folks who are only in this for their pleasure and for their gain and for the sunlight that shines on their face. But God forbid they have to walk through darkness or wilderness. So get behind me, Satan. But I don't really want to talk about that, even though I've already spent a few minutes talking about it. I want to talk about Moses, right? I want to talk about the lesson from Exodus. Um, And I can see Moses too, joining Peter in a long line of biblical figures who do this. I can't see you, I can't hear you, I can't see you, I can't hear you. Golda Meir, the Israeli leader, said this at a state dinner in 1973 about Exodus. She said, let me tell you one thing we Israelis have against Moses. He took us 40 years to get through the desert in order to bring us to the one spot in the Middle East that doesn't have any oil. I thought that was funny. So there you go, your joke for the day. Michael Walzer in his book Exodus and Revolution says why Exodus is so important to us is first wherever you live it is probably Egypt. Wherever you live you might feel the victim of a lack of justice or in the midst of oppression or somehow you're being persecuted. So wherever you are it's Egypt. Second, there is a better place, a world more attractive, a promised land to which you want to go. And third, the way to that land is through the wilderness. And nobody wants that, right? I want it to be paved with gold. So let's talk a little bit about Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt. We've already heard some of the lessons if you've been in church about him being found by Pharaoh's daughter and being raised in a household of privilege, wealth beyond imagine. He had the easy, cushy life. And so we often think that when he encountered the burning bush, that he was like this vigorous movie star figure ready to go and conquer the world. Wrong. When he killed the Egyptian and was banished to the wilderness, escaping people that wanted to kill him, he was 40 years old. Okay, let's put that in perspective. That seems young to me now because I'm older than that, but that's no spring chicken, right? You're approaching what we call middle age, where you can say, I can't do that because my back hurts, or I can't do that because I'm old, and I sweat so much because I'm old, whatever it is. Um, He was 40, and so then he goes to Midian and lives in this wilderness. He finds a wife. He settles into a routine and fades into the woodwork in a lot of ways, so he kind of thinks he can relax. And he's there for 40 more years. The best years of his life. His prime, right? His prime working age. When God approaches him in the burning bush, he is 80 years old. 80. Okay? No wonder he had his fingers in his ears. I'm 55 and I'd have my fingers in my ears too. What do you mean you want me to deliver people, right? So let's, let's look at it. So Moses is probably, and if you've ever been to the, to the Sinai Peninsula, ain't nothing there. It is dirt, sand, and rock. If you see a bush, it is like the only bush around for a mile. So the fact that a bush is burning is also a bigger deal. This the only bush ever, you know, that's, that's within sight, is burning, is on fire. Probably because Moses had gotten so used to his day-in, day-out routine for 40 years, he was like, I don't see nothing. Man, I'm just trying to get through the next day. It's hot. There, there's nothing to eat. Um, I've been doing this forever. And so God got his attention the only way he could. He lit the only vegetation within sight on fire. You know, I suppose God could have just spoken out of the, out of the ether, but instead he, he lit it on fire. And so he, Moses turns to the bush, and notice this, this is important for all of us, that God doesn't speak until Moses turns. Right? Doesn't speak until Moses actually turns and pays attention. And then... He says the words that are reassuring. We all love these words. God says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, oh boy, at last. I'm going to be back in the lap of luxury. Maybe I can go back to Egypt. Maybe I can get out of this wilderness, and it's just going to all be delivered to me. But... Right? The promise is always followed with a but. But God continues, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send a Pharaoh that you may bring them forth. What? I'm 80. I stutter. He's starting to come up with all the reasons why he can't do it all the reasons why it doesn't fit into his plan or to what he's come to know as life. No, 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 no. And God cuts down every one of them. I'll give you the words. I don't care if you're qualified. I don't care if you stutter. I don't care if you're in the wilderness. I don't care if people are going to treat you as if you're less than an expert. You're not from the hallowed ivory tower of religious thought. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the words. I will raise you up because there is a need in the world. Why do we even care about this story? Why do we care? I mean, it's drama. It's good. It's not the gospel, right? I mean, let's talk about Jesus here. Why do we want to hear about Moses? Because I'll tell you, selfishly, um. I want to know how it affects my life, right? If I was just reading history, I'd read something on the Peloponnesian War or something else, right? Because if it's just history, who cares? But it's not. It's the story of God's hand in our lives. It just happened to Moses, but it's happening to you too, right? When we learn about Moses, we are learning about ourselves. This is a story about you. And this is a story about me. Not just Moses. Because the exodus and the deliverance from whatever oppression you are in is going on this very day. And it might be you as the one who's being called to do it and maybe it's somebody else delivering you. But trust that God is raising somebody up. So I ask myself this question. Would I have had the courage to turn? Would I have turned? You know, Truth be told, I don't know that I would have, because this is me eight days a week, to <laughs> quote the Beatles. Y'all sing that one. Um, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a burning bush. I'm probably going to have to take care of it, so it's going to require me to do something. They'll probably make me clean up afterwards, too, and I just don't have time for that today. Forget it. I'm, I can't, I'm going to eat lunch, right, with my wife which I've done for the last 40 years. So I I just can't be bothered with the bush. Because if I stop, i got to get involved. And it's going to require actual time and attention from me today. Um, We have an endless capacity as human beings to keep walking. And I'm not the only one. We're busy people. we got places to go. Why do we stare at our phones all day if we don't? You know, my gosh, I might have an important email that came in the last 30 seconds. I better check my phone again because that's how busy I am. Everybody in here does that. So, would you have stopped? I don't know. We tend to not stop a lot um, if it's going to demand something of us. We love promises, but we don't do so well with demands. So, how about this? You will be a gifted teacher, people will love you, you will affect lives for generations to come through what you do as a teacher of young men and women. But it will require years of school, training. Sometimes you will feel, particularly early on in your career, that you are getting chewed up and spit out, that you have no respect from students or from parents especially. They're the worst. But you'll be a great teacher. Greatness but sacrifice. You will be a great athlete, but it will require 10,000 hours of training and it will be day in and day out for most of your young adult life. When you could be out doing other things, you'll be up at dawn on the track field or you'll be at practice at 7.30 at night when it's dark and it's cold. Season after season. You'll be a great musician and a great singer. Oh, yes concert halls will cheer your name but it's going to require the same kind of dedication and practice in times when you feel like you just don't have it. So we begin to bargain with God. Maybe not me. Maybe not, not, not this. Something else. I know I feel called to do it but maybe, maybe just move on. I'll do this but not that. This is a story that particularly—this is the last one, I Um, promise—this is a story that particularly hit hard with me that I read a while back, and I could use any anecdotes from my own life. Um, It's from a book called Choosing Simplicity by Linda Breen, and it's the Fender family and young Chelsea who did what a lot of kids do. She drew a picture of her family. Um, and usually they're smiling and holding hands and there's a big sun up in the sky. Usually, not always. Um, and so she showed it to her father and he began to say, okay, what's going on here? Tell me about everybody in the picture. And she said, well, that's Quinn. He's crying. That's Shane and he just hit Quinn, so he's about to cry. Um, and I'm reading a book and that's mom. She's getting dinner kind of ready for everybody. And she said, he said, well, who, who's the remaining figure? And she said, that's you, Daddy. And he said, well, why is my face scratched out? And she said, that's not your face. That's the back of your head because you're looking at your computer. And he came face to face with his burning bush. He thought, is this the life I'm going to give her? Is this what she will know of me as her father? we all have burning bushes, every one of us today, walking through what you think has become your routine, what has become normal, and something's on fire. And we all have a choice. We can walk by, or we can remember God. And remember that when we turn to him, we talk a lot about simplicity and quiet and prayer and blah, 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 blah but we don't do it. But maybe if we turn more, God would speak more. Because I think God's speaking all the time. It's just that I don't always take the time to listen. And I don't always see what's on fire in front of me. Join me in not walking by the burning bushes in our lives. Even if stopping means involvement, even if stopping means that it might be you that is delivering someone else, stopping might be God delivering you. Stopping sometimes means change. But remember this. God is with us and God goes before us. When Moses got to see Pharaoh, God was already there preparing the way. It had already arrived before Moses got there. God is in the midst of it, the threatening centers of this life. So the word to Moses and to each and every one of us is not just promises, devoid of demands. But equally, it is not demands devoid of promises and strength and a God that is always with us. For these promises give us strength in the wilderness. And remember this, the wilderness is where God does his best work. Look at the biblical narrative that is our story. It's not history. It's your story and it's mine. Promises that free us so we too may see that land of plenty and a life with God. And that, when all is said and done, is very good news indeed. Amen.